Turn again your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Luke 19, 11. This has been our key text for our series, uh, Engage Until He Comes. This parable, we looked at Zacchaeus a few weeks back. He introduced us way back in February on the 13th, uh, and we've worked our way to this point this morning. Luke 19, verse 11, this is the Word of God. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. According to one of his servants, he gave them ten minus and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. He first came before him, saying, Lord, your mind has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. The second came, saying, Lord, your mind has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, uh, here is your mana, which I kept laid uh, away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You know that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mana from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Enjoy me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad that your word does stand forever, that it's certain that it's true. Uh, And so, Father, this morning as we once again consider this parable, we pray for your Spirit's help uh, to grasp what you're saying to us, Lord, as we respond. Uh, Father, with uh, with going, uh, Father, or sending with our, our money and our prayers. So work in each of us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just paraphrase David Joanna's picturesque description of this. The floorboards creak as Robert Moffat leans forward in his chair, his eyes squint as he takes in the moment. Looking across the distant valley, he fixates on the thin wisps of smoke rising slowly, then vanishing above small homes. A glimpse of the spiritual reality that he long understood but had grown so accustomed to, even often overlooked. Villages without Christ, without God, and without hope in the world. As he ponders, he weeps at the thought of it. And that moment would become the catalyst of his missionary campaigns. Uncharted regions remained untouched by the presence of the gospel. And he could not stand by From his adopted home in South Africa to the north and to the east, Robert Moffat would champion the cause of Christ, pioneering new territory and trailblazing new routes for numerous succeeding missionaries. His simple yet his profound platitudes 
would have an immense effect on those who heard him speak about unreached peoples. One such person was David Livingston, whose life goals were about to be arranged by the Spirit of God when Moffat opened with those famous words, Many a morning I've stood on my porch of my house surveying the landscape. In the vast plain of the north, I've seen at different times the smoke of a thousand villages. Villages whose people are without Christ, without God, without hope in the world. It's with those words that God pricked the heart of 25-year-old David Livingston. Uh, those poignant words resounded in his mind, the smoke of a thousand villages. Uh, God would use David Livingston in remarkable ways to open up new uh, doors for the gospel in Africa. Now here's the question, what keeps us from seeing all those without Christ? Why don't we see the smoke? Again, I'll quote David Joannis here a little bit. Today, people are fatigued by a wide array of divisive social issues. Unlike generations past, we are constantly bombarded with topics like education, civil rights, poverty, terrorism, ineffective government, immigration, racism, and climate change. We could add COVID, inflation, Ukraine. Christians are often left with little energy to think about the status of global missions. In fact, oftentimes the, the thoughts about the kingdom of God are not even in the front of our minds. And that's why today we want to talk about staying engaged until he comes. So we come back to where we started the six-week series, the parable Jesus told to those gathered at Zacchaeus' house in Jericho, who thought Jesus was about to usher in the new kingdom of Israel when he arrived in Jerusalem. And Jesus starts the story and the people think, well, I know this story. Because it's a parable based on reality, you remember. It's the saga of a would-be king, Archelaus. When King Herod had died 30 years before, Archelaus, his son, a very wicked man, a cruel man, uh, left Palestine, went to Rome to get uh, crowned as, as the, the, by the Roman emperor to give him the kingship of his father. But he was so unpopular... Uh, that a group of Jewish leaders followed him to, to Rome and argued for him not to be made king. And they actually were successful. Uh, he was not made king. He was given the title of ethnarch. He had a portion of the kingdom, uh, of the power he wanted. So everybody's thinking when they hear the story, I, I've heard this before. I know what you're talking about. But Jesus is, of course, not talking about Archelaus. He's talking about himself. He's talking about the kingdom that he's about, after the cross, to ascend to the Father, uh, to ask for in accordance with Psalm 2. And so this parable has a lot going on in it. Um, and we, quite frankly, don't have time for a detailed study this morning. So primarily, I want us to focus on what is the punchline for us today uh, of the parable. And that is to engage in business until he comes. And the challenges this parable represents, uh, presents to us in relation to that. Because you see, we had, a, we had a great mission conference. Uh, we get excited about missions. Perhaps we say we're going to give more and we're going to pray more and even go. But then, then life goes on. Our enthusiasm wanes and, uh, and we get distracted. We have the vision. We understand the mission. But our passion begins to wane. We forget about Goliath's head. Don't want you to forget Goliath's head, all right? Um, and uh, uh, so how do we stay engaged? Let's go to the text and see. First, this parable gives us the perspective of time. 
The Jewish people as a whole had great expectations of a coming kingdom, uh, that um, a restored kingdom of Israel. And now here's this Jesus, and he's a great teacher, he's a healer, he's a miracle worker. And many Jews think he's it. And now's the time for this new son of David to begin to reign. And they fully expect as Jesus enters Jerusalem that the crowds will lift him up and proclaim him king. And they will give him the crown of David. And he's then going to, he's going to act and overthrow the Romans and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And in reality, Jesus is lifted up. But he's lifted up on a cross. And he is given a crown. But it's a crown of thorns. And he does establish a kingdom. But it's a spiritual kingdom. It's not a spatial, it's not a geographical kingdom. And despite repeated teaching about his suffering and death, Jesus' followers just simply did not grasp that the cross was coming. Uh, They could not grasp the already not yet idea of the kingdom. That Jesus already is a king, already he reigns. It's not yet known because it's a spiritual kingdom. And so they couldn't grasp a time delay from Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. The very time we live in, that Jesus was going away for an indefinite period of time, from our perspective, to receive his kingdom, as it were, from God the Father. To sit down at the right hand of the Father, knowing that one day Jesus will come again. He will make known his kingdom a day with a new heavens and a new earth. And we're living now in that indefinite waiting period, which may end this afternoon, but may not end for a thousand years or more. Our task, stay engaged in business until he comes. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, we find Jesus talking about the presence of opportunity. Collecting ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business till I come. And so we're like the servants in the story. All right? These are the followers of Christ. We're empowered servants. As followers of Jesus, we're entrusted by the Father with resources. And while he's gone, we're to engage in business. And given the context, that business is what Jesus' business is which you saw back in verse 10, was to seek and save the lost. And I think it's safe to say that as the parable goes, the king has very high expectations of us. Uh, we've pointed out what Jesus said, where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Our task is to reach the world with the proclamation of the gospel. The question comes for each of us is what are we investing our lives in? Are we investing our lives in such a way that when Jesus returns, uh, he'll be delighted or is it something else? Now, don't take that to mean that we all have to become missionaries. That's not true. Some here are called to go. But be honest, most of us aren't. We're called to various endeavors and jobs. Yet how we do those jobs, whatever they are, uh, should bear witness to Christ. What I want us to focus on for us this morning is how we use two particular resources. That's our money and our time. The way we invest our money, the way we give our money, the way we spend our money, well, 
that shows where our hearts will follow. As a pastor, it's encouraging to see the sacrificial gifts people have made for the tornado victims in the Upper South and now for the uh, refugees from Ukraine. It means our hearts are with the people struggling to survive. And likewise, when we give to missions, our hearts always follow our gifts. We're investing, uh, we're interested in people becoming followers of Jesus. Perhaps you heard some of the missionaries say when they come to CMPC, they're always a little bit surprised by the knowledge people have about their ministries. Showing people have been reading their letters or, or following them on Facebook or wherever. And so why have people been reading? Why is their heart there? Very simply because people have been given. You've been given to the cause of missions for the sake of global evangelization. When we give... Our hearts will follow. The second resource is time. And it's specifically taking time to pray. Let's face it, to to pray for the missionaries we support, it takes time. That's what Ben Wisely pointed out last month about, you know, as you begin, pray for a few missionaries uh, to get started. Target your prayers as you get involved in this. That's why we have the option to sign up for mission prayer groups to help us set apart time so that we do pray. Uh, Groups are a partner that will give us a sense of accountability. I've got to say, the older I get, the more I agree with what Tim Keller recently assessed about his own pastoral ministry across the years. That when he looks back, the one thing he wishes he would have prayed more. Young people, I will tell you what I suspect uh, older people like me have all found out to be true. Learn from our mistake. Pray more now. Pray more now. Prayer is so essential because this parable also has another theme, and that's the persistence of opposition. Look at verse 14. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. All right, so you've got the servants busy serving the king in his absence. Then you have these others who are opposed to the king receiving his kingdom. Just the simple point here is that hostility towards Jesus and his mission will continue until Jesus comes again. This will become very clear when we return to our series on Revelation next Sunday. It certainly becomes obvious when Jesus enters Jerusalem to the cries of Hosanna and then ends up a few days later on a cross. Persecution is reality for the church. People will always do all they can to obstruct the church in carrying out its mission. What this should do is drive us to the use of the only real weapon we have against this opposition, which is really demonic opposition to the kingdom of God, and and that's prayer. We've got to remember we're waging uh, uh, for the kingdom, the battle for the kingdom, and it's a spiritual battle. You know, the United States is right now focused very greatly on Vladimir Putin as our great enemy. What we don't see, what we're not, the leadership's not looking at, is that the battle in Ukraine is a spiritual battle. Satan is at work and he's trying to spread havoc and misery and mistrust and hopelessness and despair, and hatred, and death, and he's succeeding. We see it an increased level of hatred in our own nation where people are no longer allowed to disagree and be friends. If people disagree, you've got to hate somebody and call them names and ridicule them. 
that word cancellation. Friends, it's a call to prayer. In David Wells' words, prayer is rebelling against the status quo. When we see things as God intends them to be, in contrast to the way they are. John Piper so famously said, sort of a paraphrase, prayers not so we can ask for snacks and soft pillows to be brought down to the den, be more comfortable. But prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything needed uh, to advance the kingdom of God in this world. Prayer gives us significance uh, as frontline forces. And it gives God the, the op- opportunity to be an unlimited provider and get the glory. The one who gives the power gets the glory. So prayer then safeguards the supremacy of God in missions, while it links us with the endless grace for every need. If we say this works out, you can go to Daniel 10, read about Daniel there and the battles he faced. Then finally, let's notice the promise of the king's return. Jesus is going to return one day. For his people, that's, that's going to be a day of great joy. Um, uh, great hymns and, and, and gospel songs describe the day. You know, we shall behold him. What a day that will be when our Jesus we shall see. Uh, but it's also a day of accounting. This parable brings that out in two ways. When he returned, having received the kingdom, verse 15, he ordered these servants to, to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. And the first came before him saying, Lord, your mind has made ten minus more. And he said to him, well done, good and faithful servant, because you've been faithful in a very little, you should have authority over ten cities. Uh, so that's the first servant. We're not the second, but then with the third servant, what happened? He did nothing with what he had. There's going to be an accounting for how we are engaged until he comes. Uh, so one day he's going to ask us, How about those resources, our money, our time, our gifts, our talents, our energy? And the thing we notice here is the the king rewards the servants, but not with what you expect, with rule over cities. Uh, Not the financial rewards, you might think, but, but gifts from the king. But then there's the element of judgment, not only with the servant who mismanaged his resources, but also for those who opposed the king. But as for these enemies of mine who don't want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. All those who reject Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation face eternal punishment. We just sang about that. That should give us urgency with the Great Commission. Every day, people die without the gospel, and when they do, they enter into a Christless eternity. Uh, And whether they are that seemingly good, sweet, elderly neighbor who does not know Jesus, or Vladimir Putin, the deaths of all unbelievers should sadden us and remind us to stay engaged in the business and the business is to seek and save the lost. All right, so what about us? The question we've been asking around here for over 20 years now is this. Is my life right now my best answer to the Great Commission? Is it? I mean, is God calling me to go or, or to send? 
Let me ask another question. What is your ambition? Now, I know that Francis Xavier did not have his theology right when he went to the Far East to share the gospel in the 16th century. But we can learn from his passion. He found so many hungry hearts in China and in Japan and in the Philippines that he wanted to go back to Paris and to recruit people to come and help. And here's what he said. He said if he, would, if he went back, he would go shouting up and down the streets to tell the students to give up their small ambitions and come eastward to preach the gospel of Christ. The question is, are our ambitions too small? So God may be calling you to go. And I say, if he is, you better go. And if God's not calling us to go, then he is calling us to send a substitute. He's calling us to send others. How do we do that? We do that with faith, promise, giving, and a commitment to pray. So how do we keep engaged? We've got to keep a time perspective. Robert Moffat said, we should have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but we have only one swift hour before the sunset in which to win them. So we've got to make the most of our opportunities. We've got to give sacrificially from whatever it is God's entrusted us with, and our hearts will follow. How much? Well, I hope you've been praying about it. Whatever you've been giving, I would suggest probably God wants you to give a little more, just guessing about that. If you've never given, God wants you to start someplace. He's not looking at the amount. He's looking at the heart. And you always ask me the old question, what if the spouse's numbers are different and I give the same age-old answer, then you choose the higher number, okay? That's the easy one. Easiest question. But let's commit to pray. We face spiritual opposition. I know we can pray without ever filling out a prayer card. I get that. Uh, but this card gives us a, accountability, and it gives us solidarity. That's why we ask you to fill one out every year, by the way. All right? Uh, we make prayer uh, for missions a commitment when we fill these cards out, and it's not an option. Keep reading God's Word. I said at the conference, over 40 of the Psalms deal with missions. Uh, read missionary biographies. Read about people like Robert Moffat. He followed his call into missions as a young man, and he was spurred by the stories he read and heard about from his mother about uh, Moravian missionaries uh, sitting on his mother's knee. So he had this passion to reach the nations. And when he died in 1883, the London newspapers wrote this. Can you imagine reading this, by the way, today? Perhaps no more genuine soul ever breathed. He addressed the cultured audiences with the majestic calls, within the majestic calls of Westminster Abbey, with the same simple manner in which he led the worship in the huts of the Africans. And that's why he said, Oh, that I had a thousand lives and a thousand bodies. All then should be devoted to no other employment, no other business, but to preach Christ. Robert Moffat had a vision for how God intended things to be in Africa. His mission was to reach as many as possible and to recruit others to reach the rest. And he maintained a passion to stay engaged in the Lord's business until he comes. So let me update you on uh, Robert Moffat, what we need perhaps to see when we look out at the world today. And here I'm borrowing the words from a, a missionary in Dakar, Senegal. He said, that Africa's changed much in the two centuries since Robert Moffat got there in January of 1817. Uh, 
Yes, there are still villages and spirals of smoke rising up across the African plains where the name of Jesus Christ has never been proclaimed. But now there are also great cities, major African metropolises where millions of men and women and children from distant fires are converging. Unreached peoples from closed countries who do not gather around the fire but sit beneath the soft glow of electric light. Mothers and fathers, like many generations before, gathering their sons and daughters to hear their tales. But now they hear their stories through the illuminated box by the wall. And we need to see the soft glow of light spilling from a thousand African apartments where the name of Christ has never been proclaimed. Our mission must be for the name of Jesus to be lifted up on each corner, in each building, each home. And friends, those those lights, they're glowing in nations around the world, coming from phones and tablets and computers and televisions, and LED light bulbs. People hungry for information in this information age, but missing out on the most important information of all, the good news of Jesus Christ. Go back to what I quoted C.S. Lewis before. The glory of God, and as our only means of glorifying Him, the salvation of human souls is the real business of life. So let's get down to business. May we stay engaged in the business of the kingdom until he comes. And so you have two cards. You have a faith promise card and a prayer promise commitment card. Uh, I'm going to pray, then we're going to take a couple minutes to give you a chance to fill these out. uh, And then we will place them in the offering plate when we leave this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful that you have astonishingly entrusted us with the Great Commission. You've entrusted us to take the good news of Jesus Christ, Lord, to this community, Father, and to the ends of the earth. So, Father, particularly as today we think about cross-cultural missions, uh, Father, we pray uh, you'll move in our hearts to give, Father, to give generously. Uh, Father, to commit to pray. Father, when we give, our hearts will follow and we'll want to pray. So Lord, help us to respond today, we ask. Father, somebody here that doesn't yet know Jesus Christ, Father, may they see in our desire for Him to be known. Uh, Lord, may that make them hungry for Christ and His cross, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.